<clears throat> and if the Lord will allow my voice to hold out uh, just a little bit longer. I've been singing Christmas carols all the way home from Louisiana. That's what it is. My voice is going out. No, I got a little bit of a cold, uh, but I got a shot yesterday in my hip, and I should be feeling a lot better here before long. Luke chapter number one. And if you're there, let's go ahead and stand together. going to pick up in about uh, verse number five. To read down through about verse number 17. And uh, then we'll pray and let you be seated. <clears throat> Luke chapter number 1. I'm going to read a little bit today about John the Baptist. Uh, we'll be celebrating the birth of our Savior uh, here in a few days. Uh, but today we're going to be looking at the birth of the forerunner of Christ, which was John the Baptist. I'm going to pick up in verse number 5 to get a little bit of context. The Bible says there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, and of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. <clears throat> but the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayers heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if the Lord did that for all of us? You wouldn't have to fight over what to name your child. It's just the Lord told you. I wish he did that. Uh, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Our text this morning is verse 17. Pay close attention. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people. Now watch these last four words, prepared for the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege again to be back here today. Thank you for your word, Lord, for it's quick and living and powerful. I pray we would let your word do what you desire, Lord, to send it to do this morning. Help us all decide right now. We're going to go ahead and be obedient to, Lord, how your Holy Spirit leads us through the service. I pray for the invitation. Help us not be stagnant and stubborn, but, Father, help us be willing to be obedient to however you may lead us. Help us, Lord, not hesitate to bow a knee before an old-fashioned prayer altar, Lord, that we might submit ourselves to you and to what you desire to do today in the message. Bless, I pray, your will be done, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I was thinking this morning... That there is a great debate amongst believers that has raged for many, many years. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's a debate that is still playing out before our eyes today. And in this debate this morning, there are three main camps. All right? Stick with me. Stick with me. There's three main camps in this debate that's been raging for years. You have the pre-crowd, the mid-crowd, and the post-crowd part of this debate. Now, what is this debate we're speaking of? Well, obviously, it's when you start decorating for Christmas, okay? 
Now, we have the pre-Thanksgiving crowd that starts getting their house ready as soon as the temperature drops below 70 degrees here in South Mississippi. Uh, Those are the folks that are on the Dollar General and Hobby Lobby calendar, okay? He said, what do you mean by that? Have you noticed, look, I think they're already putting the Christmas stuff on clearance in Dollar General. It's not even Christmas yet. Matter of fact, I think I saw some little Valentine's candies already out there in Hobby Lobby when I went the other day. And you have that group of people. You start decorating for Christmas before Thanksgiving ever gets here. So you're part of that pre-Thanksgiving crowd. And then we have the mid-Thanksgiving crowd. The mid-Thanksgiving crowd are those that are more of the purest mindset uh, to where you wait until Santa appears on the float on the Macy's Day Parade on television before you break out the Christmas decorations because it's not officially Christmas until Santa Claus arrives on the float on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So you're more of a mid-Thanksgiving decorator for Christmas. But then we have the post-Thanksgiving. They are the most purest lot of them all. You wait until after all of your family has left. You have slept off that chemical that's in the turkey that makes you sleepy. And you have uh, healed up all of your wounds from your Black Friday shopping. And finally, you take out the decorations and begin putting them up maybe even a week before Christmas. And you're getting all of those preparations, all of those things around your house ready. Maybe even some of you never took them down from last year, and you're just celebrating all year long. I've seen some folks out there in the country, you know, uh, their mindset is just leave them up all day long, all year long. You never have to take them down. And it's just a nice thing to see sometimes, to see a little Christmas in the middle of February. Now, wherever you're at on this Christmas preparation, there's one thing for sure this morning. It's kind of like Brother Heath said, like being Crosby said, it is indeed beginning to look a lot like Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of the year, and I, I don't, it's not just the decorations, it's just the, the spirit of mankind always seems to be a little nicer uh, during this time of year. Houses are getting decorated, you see the lights through the windows. As a matter of fact, while my wife was in Louisiana, I drove home, dropped her off on Friday of last week, drove home to preach on Sunday, <clears throat> thought I would be here. And uh, I decided for the first time in 17 years of our marriage, I was going to decorate the outside of our house with lights. And I went to Home Depot, and I had a fun with my credit card. It took a credit card to get all of those lights. I got them for the ridge of our roof. I got them, uh, those those icicle lights around the front. I bought lighted wreaths for the windows. I bought all of this stuff for the porch. I mean, Christmas threw up on the outside of our house while my wife was in Louisiana. I was having a ball doing it. It took me eight hours to get all of those lights on our house. Matter of fact, I'm up there on Saturday night. This is before I had to leave, go back to Louisiana. I'm on the roof at 1130 with a flashlight, hanging Christmas lights. I'm sure our neighbors were taking bets on whether or not the pastor was going to fall off the roof for putting Christmas lights up there at 1130. I have an angel assigned to me. He looks after me, and everything was all right, and got down from there. After Thanksgiving, we went to uh, the sheriff's uh, tree farm and got our tree, kind of do that every year, and we have our family vote. Leslie picks one, I pick one, Miley picks one, and then we narrow it down to decide which tree gets to come home with us, Okay. The Andrews family tree is kind of a big deal, so we want to make sure it's just right. We give it a name and everything. This year, we actually agreed on all, all of us agreed on the same tree. Uh, and so you know the Lord must be coming back real soon for all of us to agree on that. Got our Christmas tree up, and everything's looking right. All the preparations are just about there. Decorated the tree last night, and I'm in our house. I'm just sitting there last night studying, and 
looking at the fireplace and our fake fireplace flickering, you know, and it's too hot to have the fire going, so we just had the pictures of the fire going, not really the heat, and got our stockings hung by the chimney with care, and the tree is there, my wife got everything, she's got Bing Crosby albums, we have a record player playing those albums there in the house, and everything is just about prepared. As I sat there on the couch last night, I was thinking, the Holy Spirit helps me do that a lot, the Holy Spirit brought a thought to my heart, matter of fact, a few weeks ago that really culminated last night. The thought is basically this. Imagine what things would be like if we put as much preparation into preparing for the second coming of Christ as we do for celebrating the first coming of Christ. What do you think about that this morning? What if we put as much preparation into preparing for the second coming of Christ, which by the way, he's coming, all right? You know he's one for one. He said he was coming and he did. Look, I wouldn't bet against him. He said he's coming again. He's coming again. And imagine if we prepared just as much for the second coming of Christ as we do for preparing, excuse me for being gravelly this morning, for celebrating the first coming of Christ. Now, folks, I believe a lot of us this morning are praying for the second coming of Christ, aren't we? Lord, come back. Even so, Lord, come quickly. We're praying, Lord, I'm tired of this world. I'm, I'm tired of paying $50 to fill up my gas tank with gas. And I'm tired of groceries costing so much and, and, and empty shelves in the grocery store. Lord, I'm, I'm praying that you come back. <clears throat> but here's what I wonder this morning. If we're praying for him to come back, are we really preparing for him to come back? We want him to come back, but are we preparing for him to come back? Do you know the Bible gives us so many examples of Scripture where our Father wants us to be prepared, all right? He doesn't want us to be caught off guard. As a matter of fact, he says it's the lost world that's going to be caught off guard when he comes back. But unfortunately, I believe this morning a lot of saved people are going to be caught off guard, not prepared for the second coming of Christ. I'll give you a few Scriptures. Matthew chapter 25, verse 13, the Bible says, Watch therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. He says, I want you to watch. I want you to be prepared. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope. He says, I want you to be looking for it. Be prepared. 1 Thessalonians 5.4, but ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Now, folks, if you were in darkness, away from the Lord, separated by your sin from him, it would be understandable if you would not be prepared for the coming of the Lord. But for God's people, we're not in darkness. We should be looking for, watching for, and prepared for the second coming of Christ. Now, folks, look, I want to celebrate the first coming of Christ. I'm looking forward to it. My wife has already bought me some gifts. They're already under our beautiful tree right now. I'm looking forward to celebrating the first coming of Christ. But in the midst of our celebration and preparing to celebrate the first coming, we've got to make sure we're preparing to see his second. Why? Because he's coming just like he said he would. Folks, how do we get prepared this morning? Well, Luke chapter 1, we're reading about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. Christ was about to make his appearance, his earthly appearance in his ministry on this planet. And yet he sent someone to, what does the Bible say in verse 17, the very last four words? He sent this messenger to prepare the people for the Lord. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 3, the Bible says, This is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Look, God wants you to be prepared for the coming of Christ. 
God wanted that world to be prepared for the coming of the ministry of Christ. He sent John the Baptist to prepare the people. Now watch, God wants us to be prepared for the second coming of Christ. And God gives us an outline in verse number 17 on exactly how we can be prepared. Now aren't you glad God preserved his word for us today? And in verse number 17, God showed John how he was to prepare the people for the coming of Christ. So this morning, we're not going to be preaching on the preparing for Christmas we're going to be preaching on preparing for Christ. And we're going to look at three things out of verse number 17 on how we can be prepared for the coming of Christ. Now remember, he's speaking to the house of Israel. What does it say? Verse 16, and many of the children of Israel. These are God's people, all right? These are the religious people. I want them to be prepared. How do we do that? Well, verse 17 tells us, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to, watch this, turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Thank you, Brother Paul. I'll get you a nice Christmas present for getting me that water. <clears throat> I promise I'm going to quit smoking one day. The Bible says, before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Now watch what's happening here. The Bible says he's going to go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. The key words here are to turn the hearts. To turn the hearts. Now, for about two weeks, I've been looking at this message, preparing this message, out of town a good bit of the time. Spent a lot of time in study exactly on what that passage meant there, where it says to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And I found about after 50 preachers that I read about and talked to about, about this, I heard about 50 different definitions on exactly who the children and the fathers are. Some say it's Israel and Abraham. Some say it's Israel and the Gentiles. But after talking with my dad a little bit, we agreed on the same point that when you read the Word of God, the best rule is to take it on face value. Unless it says something different, just believe what it says. Amen. The Bible says here, watch this, the world that Christ was about to enter into in his ministry is a world that's fractured. And it's so fractured, it's indicated by the relationship of the hearts of the fathers. Now watch this. Before Christ enters in, the forerunner of Christ is to go and to turn the hearts. Now John has a, a lot of work to do, doesn't he? It's not easy to turn a heart. And in order to prepare the people, watch this, number one, preparing the people for Christ began with a change of heart. Preparing the people for the coming of Christ began with a change of heart. Now, imagine this. Here's John. John knows what his job is. John, your job is to prepare the people's hearts and to turn the people's hearts, the father's hearts, toward the children before Christ comes. I imagine John sits back like this and goes, oh, dear, oh, dear. Here comes Jesus, and look at the people. They're not ready. Does that sound familiar? All right? Now watch this. We as the church, we're the people here. We're to go before Christ to get the world ready. We sit back, we look at the world, and we're like, oh, dear, they're not ready. It's probably like you on Thanksgiving morning. You ladies got up. Maybe some of you men, too. You ladies got up. You put that nice turkey in the oven. Well, you got this picture in your head what it's going to look like. Got that turkey going, got the green bean casserole going, you got the dressing going, all that stuff's working so well, and uh, things just flowing, so maybe you got some music playing in the background. You put on your pioneer woman apron, you know, that always helps you, and you're getting it all together, and, and all of a sudden you get that first text from the family that's coming, we're on our way. And all of a sudden your heart begins to race a little bit, but you look, turkey's doing good. The little thermometer hasn't popped out yet, so you know it's not quite ready, but it's, it's getting there. And a few minutes later you get the next text, hey, we'll be there in 30 minutes. All of a sudden, you're thinking to yourself, all right, turkey, come on. You're talking to it because talking to it makes it go faster, right? Come on, come on, come on. Hurry up, hurry up. You're waiting for that little red thing to pop out of the turkey. It's not ready yet. 
few minutes later, you get another text. Hey, we're on our way. Be there in 10 minutes. You're like, all right, I got to hurry. You look, the turkey's ready. You look, at the, the casserole's ready. You look over here, the dressing's ready. And then you look at your children sitting on the couch. They're still in their pajamas. Their hair's not brushed. You look at your husband. He's falling asleep back on the couch watching the, the parade, waiting for Santa to arrive so that Christmas could officially begin. And you're thinking, look, I got all of these people coming. My kids look like a wreck. My husband's asleep on the couch, and the turkey's not quite ready yet. And you're thinking, man, I got a lot of work to do before they get here. That's probably how John felt. John looked out at the world, and he says, look, things are so bad. The fathers of Israel, watch this, they had turned from God, and they had turned their hearts from God without any consolation, without any consideration of the effects on their children. I want you to hear me out this morning. There's no greater way for you to neglect your children than to neglect your children's need for God. There's no greater way. Listen, I think it ought to be child abuse for you not to bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think it should be called legally neglect for you not to train up a child in the way that he should go. There's no greater neglect than for your heart to be so turned away from God that you neglect the spiritual needs of your children. Folks, let me tell you something. When your heart is turned away from your children that way, it shows you something's bad wrong. John looks out. He says there's something bad wrong with the hearts of the people. Look, Jesus is coming. He's almost here. His ministry is about to begin, and I've got to help get their hearts ready, and their hearts are turned away from God so far that they're neglecting the spiritual necessities of their children. So John comes along and John starts preaching, right? That's what he was supposed to do. He was preaching in the wilderness. What did John preach? Is well, dads, look, we're going to have a national daddy-daughter date night. That's what we need to have. And that's going to get all the dads' hearts right. Or dad, Look, we're going to have a father-son fishing trip. And that's how we're going to get all the dads to love their kids again. How on earth are we going to get their hearts back to their children? I mean, you know, the government spends millions of dollars every year trying to get dads just to be the dads they're supposed to be. What makes you think we can do it? Well, what did John preach? Watch closely in order to change their heart. Matthew 3 tells us, verse 1 and 2, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, watch this, of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the way to turn the father's hearts back to their children was to turn the father's hearts back to God. You see, that's what repentance is all about. Repentance is when we turn ourselves back to God. Now, in order for John to turn the father's hearts back to the children, they had to first turn their hearts back to God. That's what repentance is all about. Now, folks, we look out at the world we're living in today, and we look at the hearts of the people, and the hearts of the people are turned away from where they should be. And we're trying to get this person to agree with this person, and this person to like this person, and this person to get along with that person, and we just can't seem to figure it out. Can I tell you why? Because we're trying to do it without God. There's no way that all of this is going to mesh and gel back together the way a father should love his children until that father has the right relationship with God that he's supposed to have. You can't have a good dad until you have a godly dad. And so we want to have the dad's relationship the way it needs to be. We've got to make sure that that relationship with God is the way it's supposed to be. Now stick with me this morning. I'll show you something that I think will bring, bring this to light to you a little bit. Fast forward 2,021 years if we could. Here comes Jesus. That's my opinion, by the way. He's coming. I kind of feel like John. I'm not John, all right? Don't you leave here today and say, our preacher said he was John the Baptist. Oh, no, no, no. I'm Jeremiah the Baptist, not John the Baptist, okay? I feel like here he comes. Here he comes. I mean, he's right behind us. I feel like he's coming. He's at the door. He's about to walk through. 
Boy, yesterday, I wish I'd, I'd show you the picture. Yesterday, we were coming across the overpass there uh, on Elks Lake, looked up at the sun. Did anybody else see that large halo around the sun? Unbelievable. It wouldn't even fit within the confines of my camera, hardly. It looked like a giant eyeball, the sun and this giant halo around it. I kind of felt like God was looking like, all right, ready or not, here I come. I feel like he's on his way. Now, folks, we look out, and I look out this morning, and I don't think our hearts are right. I don't think we're ready. Matter of fact, I think the only way we can get ready for the coming Christ is to make sure our hearts are ready. Now, how do we get our hearts ready? Repentance. Repentance. Now, stick with me. We are politically divided. We are philosophically divided. We are religiously divided. We are racially divided. We are medically divided. Whoever thought that a virus would cause so much division amongst people? And our hearts are turned every which way. If the Lord were to come back right now, the next few minutes, I'm afraid he would find a lot of his people. Remember, he's preaching to Israel, his people. I'm afraid the Lord would find a lot of his people with their hearts turned sideways. We've allowed the circumstances of what we've been going through the last couple of years to get us all twisted and turned, and we're sideways with this person, we're sideways with that person, and what's needed this morning before the Lord comes back is for God's people to have a change of heart, and the way we have that change of heart, it's not to get you to agree with me, it's to get all of us to agree with God. I want to ask four of our boys to come up here right quick. I, I picked these good-looking guys out. They said they were the best-looking ones here, so I told them to come up here. I want to get them to help me do a quick scientific illustration for you today. How do we, listen, how do we get the father's hearts back to the children where everything lines up? I had my wife make this this morning. She's such a wonderful preacher's wife. I appreciate her very much. This is all scientific. Come over here, guys. I want everybody to see you. You said you're the best looking. I want everybody to see you. All right, I need, uh, let's see, I want you to hold this up here in the middle. You're not God. All right, hold it from the top. Very, hold it from the top. Very good. All right, now watch this. Here we have God here. And uh, let's see here. We're going to let you, you be right here. All right, Braden, we're going to let you, let's see let you be over here. Brady, we're going to let you be right here. All right, now watch this. Here's me, you, and them. We have God here. Now watch, we're, we're trying to get me and you to fit, but me and you aren't, aren't fitting very well, all right? Just trying to figure out, hey, me and you just not getting along. Our hearts are not lined up. How do we get everything to fit here real well? And, and then we have you and them over here, and you and them aren't fitting very well, and you're twisted out of sorts, and you're sideways with somebody over here. Now watch this. I'm going to start this morning with... Uh, Let's start with me, all right? I, I can't seem to get everything to fit with them, but I'm going to decide this morning, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I am turned toward God. All right, can you hold that with me on the other hand? Man, you're talented, all right? Watch this. I'm going to make sure that I'm lined up with God, and then all of a sudden, you decide, you know what? You decide, you know what? Instead of you trying to get lined up with me, you're going to get lined up with God. Can you hold that right there for me? Thank you very much. Central Baptist School, man. We got some sharp kids, sharp kids. And then all of a sudden, over here, we have them. You know, I just can't get along with them. We're just not fitting well together. But watch this. When them turns to God, watch this. Can you hold that there? All right. I know you're a homeschooler. I was too, but you can figure it out. All right. We're good. I was a homeschooler too. It's all right. Now, I want you to see something. I want you to see something, all right? This is how my, my elementary brain put all this together this morning. We keep trying to figure out, you know, why I don't fit with you and I don't get along with you and all this. But you decide you're going to turn to God and they decide they're going to turn to God. Watch what happens. Everything starts coming together. The hearts start lining up. Things start coming together. But wait a minute. Notice you had to decide you were going to turn to God. And as soon as you turned to God, things started working out between you and me. 
And then all of a sudden when things are working out between you and me, you and me help them turn to God, and then things start working out between me, you, and them. But somebody had to decide to, watch this, turn back to God. And when you got lined up with God, everything started working out together. All right, guys, if you would, just set those down. Give those nice young men a hand. I appreciate your help with that. I'll pay you later. Now watch closely, all right? Watch closely. I want you to see something. You have to decide you're the one that's going to make the turn. What did he say? Watch close. Verse 17. Verse 17. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. You know, the government's trying to figure out how to make everybody get along. Why don't you get along with them and and me get along with you? Watch this. The answer is God. You're not going to do it without God. But you choose to turn to God. Watch this. And you get lined up with God. And then you work to get them lined up with God. And next thing you know, everything starts working out together. But you see, it never happens until you turn back to God. Without him, we can do nothing. Now, can I tell you something? There's a reason this morning it's called a U-turn, not a them-turn. All right, not really, but all right, you get it? Somebody's like, I never knew that. It's, it's, it's you, not Y-O-U. Okay, we'll get it one way home. There's a reason it's called a U-turn and not a they-turn. He said, my goodness gracious, this morning, this country would be so different and so better if they just got right and you just got right. No, no, this country would be a better country this morning if you got right. What did he say? Repent. Hey, you turn. You turn. You get your heart right with God, and then you help them get their heart right with God. And after a while, our heart's right with God. But you can't do it without God. Folks, this morning, I believe before Jesus comes back, we've got a lot of work to do in this area of changing our hearts. Remember Jonah? Watch this. I'm fixing to prove my point. And that was supposed to do in science. You have a hypothesis and you prove it through trial and error, right? All right? What happened to Jonah? Jonah says, wait a minute. You want, here we go. You want me? You want me to go to them? Oh, no. Oh, no. Jonah says, I'm not going with them. I'm not going to preach to them. But what happened? Jonah repented and got right with God. And when Jonah repented and got right with God, what happened? His heart was turned toward them. Now what happened? Jonah went and preached to them. Think about this this morning. What about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus' heart was not right with God. I mean, he took from the people. How do we know that? Because the Bible says he was going to restore to them fourfold. So he probably was not a very liked man. And all of a sudden, as soon as Zacchaeus got right with God, all of a sudden, his heart toward the people changed. You see, when your heart turns toward God, your heart towards people changes too. But your heart's got to change first. I thought about the woman at the well this morning. Never thought about it this way. You know, she was by herself. She was by herself. You know what that means? Most likely because of her lifestyle and who she was, she was being shunned. Because of her sin, nobody wanted to be with her. She's by herself. And I want to tell you something. You shun me like some of you do in the grocery store and you run from me, all right? I'm not going to preach to you in the grocery store, I promise. But I just want to say, hey, I'm not going to look in your basket either. I learned not to do that years ago. Seriously. You run from me? Man, look, you shun me. I want to shun you. But what did she do when her heart got right? She went back into town and told the very people that shunned her about the goodness of God in sending Jesus to save her. You see, once her heart was right with God, her heart toward others changed. Can I ask you something or can I tell you something this morning? It's hard to get sideways with someone when your heart's right with God. It's hard to hold a grudge against somebody when you're right with God. 
It's hard to be prejudiced when you're right with God. It's hard to be bitter when you're right with God. You see, for in order for you to be bitter, to get sideways with them, here we go, you're going to have to get sideways with God. And it's just not worth it. You know what we need this morning before Jesus comes back? We need to do what John was preaching about in verse 17. We need to have a change of heart. We need to have a change of heart. Jesus is coming. We better prepare by having our heart changed on some things this morning. Number two, what does it say? The Bible says to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What else is he turning? He's turning and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Now, notice the second thing, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Israel had rebelled, a very familiar rebellion that really had plagued them their entire existence. Now, what was it? It's very simple. It's outlined in Judges chapter 17. Let me read it for you. The Bible says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Israel had the same problem you and I have. Rather than do what they knew, they turned to what they thought. Now, let me tell you something this morning. This is something we're all tempted to do. Rather than do what we know, we turn to what we think. And the Bible says here, John the Baptist, go prepare them people, help them with a change of heart. But then number two, help them with a change of mind. Help them with a change of mind. I believe this morning before Jesus comes back, not only do we need a change of heart, we need a change of mind. So what do you mean by that? Well, by the way that we think. You see, Israel had chosen to live by their own ideas rather than by God's obedience. Folks, it's easy for us today to see how that happens in other people's lives, but you know, we do it just about every Sunday. We come to the house of God, the word of God is preached, it's not the preacher, it's the power of the very word of God, it's quick, it's living, and it's powerful. Then we have the Holy Spirit of God, the greatest preacher in the world, and he goes down each chair, each aisle, and each row, and he speaks to our heart the truth of the word of God. And at that moment, when we're confronted with truth, we have to decide whether or not we're going to go by the truth that we know or our own ideas that we like. How often do we walk out of here choosing to go by our ideas rather than what the truth of the word of God has said? Now, here's what's interesting. You look at that word disobedient, here's what it means. It means unhearing. Unhearing. Has the Holy Spirit of God ever tried to tell you something and you just put your fingers in your ears like you did when you were a kid? Now, come on, let's be honest. We all did that as a kid at one point or the other. It helps when you make noise when you do it, right? Because you're not listening. We've all done that before. Matter of fact, they did that in Scripture, Zechariah 7, 11. Listen to what the Bible says. But they refused to hearken, the root word of hearken is here, and pulled away their shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Aren't you glad? Look, there's people in the Bible who acted just like you and I. They decided, you know what? They heard the truth of the word of God preached, and they decided, you know what? I'm not going to hear it. The New Testament, that happened to Stephen, you recall, right before they killed him. The Bible says they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. What does that mean? They decided, you know what? I don't want to listen to what thus saith the Lord, the preaching of the word of God. I want to do what I think is right. I want to do what's right in mine own eyes. Look. I hate to tell you, there's a lot of people going to be caught off guard when the Lord comes back. There's a lot of safe people going to be caught off guard, when the, off guard when the Lord comes back without a changed mind. You're living by what you think rather than by what God says. I was thinking this morning, in 2021, we live in an intolerant world of tolerance. It sounds like an oxymoron because it is. We live in an intolerant world of tolerance. What does that mean? It means free speech must be approved first. You think about that. Not very free, is it? Free speech will cost you. 
Matter of fact, you decide you have an opinion on something, it's going to be fact-checked before it's accepted. Why? People don't like to hear the truth. Doesn't it make you mad when you put a post on Facebook and all of a sudden they fact-check it? The sky is blue. Independent fact-checkers have checked and it's actually some magenta color or something like that off the wall. They fact-check everything. Why? People don't like to hear the truth. Matter of fact, you find something that's fact-checked, it probably means it was the truth nowadays, to be honest with you. People don't like hearing the truth, and we get so mad. Why? Because 2 Timothy tells us why. The Bible was talking about a time where they shall turn away their ears, 2 Timothy 4.4. 4. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You see, people reject truth to accept disobedience to fulfill their own desires. Right? I can't hear that. I can't listen to that. Why? Because there's something I want to do. And if I listen to that and do what it says, I'm going to have to give up what I think. So what do they do? They do what verse 17 says. They become the disobedient. The disobedient. Now, it's easy to say that about the lost world. Folks, we're just as guilty. We're just as guilty. How many times have we been on the way home from church and our kids ask us about something the preacher said? And you say, well, that's his opinion. Now, if that's my opinion, I'll try to tell you it's my opinion. Like, LSU stinks, okay? That's just my opinion. My wife might disagree with me. I like di- uh, Coke Zero in the black bottles, all right? That new Coke Zero stinks. That's just my opinion, okay? But when it comes to the truth of God's Word, listen, we're not here to fact-check it. It's fact already. Why? The Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. If God said it, it's truth. I don't have to fact-check it. All I have to do is accept it, believe it, and do it. Why? Because it's God's Word. Now, hear me out. Hear me out. The Lord's coming. John says, the Lord's coming. i got to get you folks ready. You folks need to change your heart by repenting and turning toward God. And some of you folks need to change your mind because you're doing what you think rather than what God said. Now, folks, we've got some work to do before he gets here. And one of the areas is we've got to change our mind. Why? Because oftentimes we live by our own ideas rather than obedience. This is why Revelation 2 says this. Now, you think about Revelation chapter 2. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the lost heathen. No. He's speaking to the church. What did he say over and over again in Revelation chapter 2? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Folks, we're not hearing it, right? It's kind of like husbands and wives, all right? We know how that goes, don't you? I'll sit there on the couch. I'm probably in the Spirit. Don't laugh. You don't even know what I'm about to say. No, you do. I'm sitting on the couch. My wife say, honey, okay, if you don't mind today, we ran out of ribbon for our tree. We had to go to Hobby Lobby. He said, I like to go to Hobby Lobby and get some ribbon and something else, something else, something else. And I said, all right, babe, look, uh, we're going to Hobby Lobby. What do we need? He said, I just told you. She said it nice in a submissive, loving way. I just told you like 15 minutes ago. I said, baby, COVID brain. Just, you know, it's just what it is, COVID brain. I don't know how long I can milk that one, but I'm going to ride that bicycle as far as I can go, you know? I was listening, but I didn't hear her. Folks, look, I'm guilty too. We come to the house of God. We hear the preaching of the word of God. We're at home reading our Bible. The word of God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit of God speaks to us. And we're listening, but we're not hearing him. That's why he says in Revelation 2, listen, I need the church. If you have an ear, I need you to hear. Why? Because when you hear, it'll change your mind. You got to hear it. By the way, somebody's got to preach it. That's why Galatians chapter 4, the apostle Paul says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Sometimes I'll ask so-and-so, hey, you've seen so-and-so in church lately? I hadn't seen them. You know, preacher's worst fear, somebody got mad and left. Now, look, if you get mad, 
about something real, come talk to me about it. But if it's something petty, come on, let's just get over it. Why? Jesus is coming back real soon. Do you know why a lot of times people get mad? Same reason they got mad at Paul. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? See, Proverbs 16 tells us there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. There is a way that seemeth right. What does that mean? We all have our own ideas, don't we? I thought it was a great idea to hang Christmas lights at 1130 last Saturday night. Do you know an 8 and 12 pitch is not easy to walk around on? I'm sure my neighbor's up there watching thinking, five bucks says he falls. I'm sure the whole night, it took me eight hours. I was just waiting for this great moment when my wife came back from Louisiana to hit the switch, boom, and Christmas is all over our house. Never thought that I would see in the newspaper the next few days, you know, a local pastor found dead on the side of his house, hanging Christmas lights. Hope my wife knew I did it for them. Folks, can I tell you this morning? There's a lot of ideas that seem right to us. There's nothing wrong with having ideas. But if your, your ideas goes against the truth of God's word, your ideas got to go. You know, there's a lot of ideas on marriage today, in the family, in the home. I don't hate those people. I say that what they're doing is wrong because that idea goes against the truth of God's word. I don't hate them. I don't hate them. You know what? It's hard to hate somebody when you're right with God. It's hard to hate somebody when you're right with God. You see, folks, we got to get to the place where even though we have good ideas, if our ideas conflict with the very word of God, they've got to go. Why? Because the Bible says before Jesus comes, you better make sure that you've turned what? The disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Before I give you the last one, remember Eve. What messed everything up for Eve? She had a good idea. She had a good idea. You know what? I know what God said, but man, you know what? If I just eat that fruit, boy, I'd be like, God, that's a good idea. What about the guy that had the one talent? Remember what he did? He knew he was supposed to take it, take it to the money changers, invest it so the guy would get a return when he come back. And he's sitting there and he thought to himself, you know what? I've got a great idea. Let me go buried in the ground. Now, I could have told him that wasn't a good idea from the get-go, but it was his idea. And instead of doing what he knew, he buried it in the ground. And oh, that's when he messed up. Oh, that he would have changed his mind. So number two, if we're preparing for Christ, we need a change of heart. Number two, we need a change of mind. Finally, what does it say in verse 17? It says, John, go get the people ready. I'm coming. I'm coming. The Bible says to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, I believe every word that's in this book is supposed to be in this book exactly the way it's written. I believe my God is, is powerful enough to preserve his word exactly the way he wanted it. I mean, you know, he did create the whole world and stuff like that. <laughs> so I think he could do that. So why did he say to make ready a people that are prepared? Don't ready and prepared mean the same thing? Like, hey, let's get ready. Hey, let's get prepared. It means the same thing, right? No, it does not. I'm here to help you out. If you look up the word ready. The word ready, the word prepared means this, having all the necessities. Having all the necessities. The word ready means putting the necessities in order. To make ready a people to prepare. Watch this. If you're saved today, you're prepared for the Lord to come back, aren't you? Look, you have the necessities. Watch this. The shed blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to your sin debt. They are gone. You are prepared. You have what is needed to go with him when he comes. But just because we're prepared doesn't mean we're ready, does it? Just because we have the necessities doesn't mean everything in our life's in the proper order. That's why we've got to have the third thing before we close. Number three, we might have to have a change of plans. We might have to have a change of plans. 
You know, I'm sure this morning that every one of us that are here are planning on being prepared for the Lord. I'm, I'm planning on it. I'm planning on it. But you know, just because you're planning on it doesn't mean it's going to happen. At some point, you've got to take your plans and put them into action to make sure when the Lord comes, not only are you prepared, but you're ready. Give you an example. Before we go on a trip, we're getting ready to take my wife and daughter up to Louisiana. Last week, my wife goes into packing mode, okay? And she is a meticulous packer. I'm so thankful for that. I never have to worry about anything. Everything is always there. I don't know if your wife does that for you, but man, I am spoiled. She always packs everything that I need. It's just so pretty in my suitcase and all of my toiletries in a nice little bag. And, I just, and then when I get to, the, to the where we're going, it's all put on the counter in the, the van. I'm spoiled rotten, all right? Uh, anyway... She'll start prepping everything in our guest bedroom. She'll start taking the, lo- the, the clothes. Okay, I want you to pick out the clothes you want. All right, she starts putting them in stacks on the guest bed. She's staging everything for, for weeks out. She wants to make sure that, look, when we go on vacation, we all have to match, like twinsies, you know? We, we want to match in our pictures. That's what it's all about is the pictures, right? You got to look good in the pictures. So our clothes, we go to Disney World, our pictures match. Animal Kingdom, we're all dressed in kind of leopard prints. And, you know, we go, we go to this, we're all looking like this. We all match, all right? So she's got it all laid out. But the closer and closer that the trip gets, she goes from planning mode to getting ready mode. Now the suitcases are coming out of the closet. Everything's going in the suitcase. Once it goes in the suitcase, don't you dare touch it. You mess up her plans. You don't know we're supposed to wear leopard print to the animal kingdom, not leopard print to magic kingdom. Oh, you just mess it up. The pictures are going to be bad. No, she don't act like that. But you don't mess with it. But the closer and closer that trip gets, the more plans she starts putting into action, right? It's not planning mode anymore. We've got to go into work mode. Now, here's what he's saying about John. John, the people, they're prepared, but they're not ready, all right? They don't realize, I'm about to walk through the door. Here I come. And yes, you're saved. Yes, you're prepared. Yes, you have all the necessities, but your life's not in order yet. And so this morning, what I believe we need is some change of plans. Why? Because it's easy to get distracted, We know he's coming back, but it's on some distant, foreign Star Trek planet that he's coming, you know. We're not seriously preparing and changing our lifestyle and ordering our lifestyle as if he's about to break through the clouds. He says, John, go get them ready. I know they're prepared. Go get them ready. Folks, this morning, can I tell you the easiest truth of the word of God this morning is the fact that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. John, I'm coming. Go get them ready. There's some of them need to have a change of heart. There's some of them this morning need to have a change of mind. And there's some of them need to change their plans because they're not acting like I'm coming at all. It's time to get things in order. I'll close with this. When you look up that passage of Scripture, boy, it's so deep. That part of making ready a people prepared for the Lord, it goes back to an oriental custom. That before a king or a dignitary would enter into a new area or visit a new region, he had people go before him. And they would make sure that as his chariot entered into that area, the people had already gone before him and made sure no rocks were sticking up too high, that there were no potholes. I wish my wife would do that for me too, you know. She'd have a full-time job right here in South Mississippi filling all those potholes. But they would make sure they filled the potholes and they would fix all the rocks and bumpy spots in the road. They smoothed everything out. So when his arrival came, he had a smooth arrival. Can I ask you something this morning? If he were to come back right now, are things in order enough in your life 
do you have a smooth arrival? Are there some potholes that need to be filled this morning? Are there some priorities that need to be rearranged? Can I ask you, look, number one, are you saved? Do you know for sure if you died right now? Look, the trump of God could sound in five seconds. If it were to sound in five seconds, are you prepared? Do you have the necessities? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If not, this morning, I would beg and plead, why don't you come down in just a few moments. We'll take the Word of God and show you how you can know for sure heaven's your home. We can get you prepared. But if you are prepared, can I ask you, are you ready? Are things in order? Is the road smooth? Are there some bumps you've got to knock down? Some potholes you need to fill? The Bible says, Colossians 2, to set your affections on things above. Why? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. You better be prepared. Number one, do you need to have a change of heart? Quit trying to get people to agree with you. Why don't you decide you're going to agree with God and try to get them to agree with God too. You'll be amazed. You agree with God, they agree with God. You'll be amazed how good you agree together. Maybe you need a change of heart. Number two, maybe you need to change your mind. Quit thinking what you think and what you, you like and what you want. And just go by and say, I want to do what God says. Or maybe, number three, you need to have a change of plans. It's time this morning to prepare for Christ. We may not even get to celebrate Christmas. Matter of fact, we might get to celebrate Christmas in heaven. He might come back just before then. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stop there. Let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Our pianist is going to come this morning.